need some motivation on your Chinese business endeavor, may be curious about what the Chinese business environment is all about, or want to laugh out loud listening to war stories on the ground in China, then this is your show, China Business Cast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another China Business Cast. This is episode number 83. Hello, Mike. Hey, hey, Shlomo. How are you doing? Things are uh, so-so here. Um, we're supposed to go to Amsterdam this week. Oh, actually last week. Uh, but then my wife's grandfather passed away the morning of the trip. So obviously we didn't go. And that, that was a hard week of mourning here in the family. Actually, we, did, we even canceled the trip uh, a day before, we, before everything happened because we knew things are not good with him. So uh, yeah, that's more on the personal side. Oh no! I'm sorry to hear that, buddy. Thanks. That's life. It is. There's the uh, good and the bad of life. I guess have to appreciate the good as much as we can. And uh, on a personal side, for me, uh, preparing to go to explore my new home. Uh, gonna go with the wife. Homes. Yeah. <laughs> most likely a few places, right? Yeah, most likely Thailand, but we'll be checking out a few other destinations just the wife and i the kids are with their grandparents in shenyang china for that and uh right before that i'm going to rise conference very quickly with a quick uh, gfa meetup so action packed is always right in the middle of the summer when everybody other people are on holidays it's like uh well i guess it'll be like a little bit of a holiday with the exploration <laughs> i think china also be there yeah definitely can't Great wait i have been talking to your colleagues uh I'll work on getting them on the vlog. <laughs> also, give awesome. Give him high five for me. <laughs> I will. I will. Send my send my high five. <laughs> yep. And our normal announcements. What's our announcement for this? This. Uh, yeah, we want to have more people in our WeChat group, and this is where we're announcing the new episodes uh, and have some discussions around what's going on. And you can find how to get into the. WeChat group by going to chinabusinesscast.com slash WeChat. That's chinabusinesscast.com slash WeChat. All details there, uh, QR codes, ID, everything. Awesome. Check it out, guys. And who's the guest? This week's guest is Steve Malone. He's uh, an American and is doing investment management for biotech startups in China. So Grace helped arrange this uh, interview with him, and he's got quite a great background with molecular uh, biology and others, talking about the investment scene and also a bit of the biotech scene in China. We don't have a lot of bio on the show, so yeah. that's a good one. Yeah, it's the first one here <laughs> from, from what I remember, so I hope, hope listeners enjoy it. Let's tune in. Awesome. Tune in. Thank you, everybody. Tuning into another China Business Cast podcast. Today's guest, we have Steve. Well, Stephen, but you go by Steve Malone. You're the investment manager of Triwise Capital Investments. And we are talking today about the landscape of biotech startups and investment trends in China. Thanks for coming on, Steve. Great, Michael. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to talk. Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely it's great to have you on the show. Grace is Appreciate her help getting getting you um, on. And just a quick bio before we get started. You've studied molecular biology, viral infections, and oncology. 
oncology of, for PhD and postdoctorate at University of Chicago. And you moved to China recently in 2016 to help biotech incubator and uh, the biomedical team at TriWise Capital Management. And you have background in infectious disease and oncology. So you're located now in Nanshan district of Shenzhen, China. And it's uh, it's a pleasure to have you. Uh, did I get that right? Did I mess anything up? Yeah, that's uh, that's about right. So I moved here yeah, about two years ago after, let's see, about five and a half years of a PhD studying basic research in molecular bio. I took a postdoc in radiation oncology. And the link was that uh, oncologists are now using herpes simplex virus to treat cancer. So I'd understood the molecular bio of um of the virus and the cell. And I wanted to learn a little bit more about both the molecular bio of cancer, but also uh, some of the, the treatment. What goes on in the hospital? How is it treated? And how are physicians thinking about these problems? And um, when I finished that up, I also wanted to supplement that with some commercial knowledge and managerial knowledge, basic biotech management. So I spoke to my PhD advisor and uh, he put Shenzhen on the map for me. Uh, he connected me with a startup that he's involved in here, that he's funding and that uh, Triwise is invested in that's doing exactly that. They're using herpes simplex for cancer treatment. So I sort of uh, spoke with him. I spoke with the management here and I talked with the management of the, the incubator that they're running and uh, I decided to do it. I decided to come over and um, you know be part of everything that's going on uh, and, and learn sort of some of my goals, meet some of my goals for what I wanted to learn. After some time at the incubator, I, I jumped over full time to, to Triwise. Uh, to try to help build companies and and also import some technology. Exciting, exciting. So yeah, welcome, welcome over to China. And so, so then basically the story, just to recap, was you, of course we're curious how how or why you moved to China. Um, so it was this basically I would summarize as these opportunities with the incubator and and uh, and what's happening in the space here in the industry. Yeah. And I think China's, it's really a great opportunity for healthcare and biotech right now. Uh, the rate that drugs are being imported, the rate of innovation, and just the sheer number of people, it's going to be an amazing opportunity, both intellectually and, of course, commercially. And I wanted to be a part of that. I wanted to learn about it. And uh, Shenzhen is kind of the epicenter of, of innovation. Um, it's hard to turn that down. Okay. So that's sort of why I chose China. Exciting. And now it's been a couple of years. And so then there's Triwise, which is the investment company. Is you, so you're in, is that, are you working with the startup there or are you in the, are you working at the incubator? Uh, I'm currently, my current position is investment manager at Triwise. Triwise is a, we're a private equity firm that does VC investments in biotech and, um, technology, media, telecommunications, and uh, some cultural investments. We have a really close relationship with, with the incubator. And the hope is that uh, companies coming out of the incubator looking for funding, we would know them, we would have an established relationship with them, we would be able to provide both their financial and some of their operating needs sort of right out of the gate. Awesome. Uh, we, are, we are invested in the oncolytic viral therapy company, but I don't have any, uh, right now I don't have any formal uh, Operating role there. Awesome. Okay. Thanks for clarifying. Sure. And so let's let's talk a little bit more about 
How, how does the incubator, I think everybody's always interested uh, with incubators and investments everywhere in the world, especially in China. Of course, we're China Business Cast, so a lot of our listeners, I'm sure, are curious. Um, what's, what's the model like? Uh, I think there's different types of incubators. Do you mind sharing the way it works? Absolutely, yeah. Um, I guess the, the incubator I'm talking about is the SIIBR, the Shenzhen International Institute for Biomedical Research. And more than just an incubator, it's a um, it's really a research institution. The model is to take or partner with um, established academics in China and in the West and establish sort of a clone of their project here. So perhaps a, a researcher at Princeton, say, would be studying something, he had an idea, we would develop it for him. There are graduate students, technicians, and postdocs, as well as professionals. And the research has to be innovative and research-driven, but also with an eye to translation. And so the focus is, is getting, a, getting to the point where we could build a product. Once that stage is sort of reached, then they, the team is sort of built and they have a relationship with, with us and other VC firms, and we could shuttle them out into a, a company. So I think this, the second half of that question would be, was uh, some of the examples of projects we have there are, of course, the Uncolytic Virotherapy Company. We have a, a project that transitioned into a company that's looking for new, new treatments for MRSA, methicillin-resistant Staph aureus. This is a bacterial infection of primarily the blood that doesn't respond to antibiotics. And there's a real need for, for treatments. And one of our scientists, we're really lucky to work with, Alash Newland, uh, from the University of Chicago, decided to start the research project there and develop one of his assets um, out of that incubator and so into the Chinese market. We've got a diagnostics company, Inda, uh, and two, two virology projects that are still at the basic sort of research stage. Okay. And so is that model work? I mean, how has it been going so far while you've been here? I think it's been going well. I think the, you know, the nature of biotech is yeah, there's sort of a lot of cost to scale a project. Um, if you think about all the money that goes into developing an idea or coming up with a patent, uh, and, and whether in the lab space or the, the personnel costs, it's really hard to, to show up in a, an office space and build a biotech company. So I think having the expertise, the lab space, and the built-in advisory network has been a, a real help there. It's been going for about two years, and, and these projects are running full steam. We've got a few top-notch publications coming out of them, and I think at least two patents. So you know, I think the model's working well, and I think other, other areas in the city are trying to generate a, a similar... Uh, similar model or similar capacity in their regions. Yeah. And I'm sure, uh, I'm, I'm curious. I'm sure listeners are curious about, you know, how the, how the government pays, plays a role. I mean, I, I think we all know the listeners or people following China business is the government's really been pushing for innovation. And, uh, it seems like probably very interested in what you're doing. I'd love to know what, Involvement or support they've been doing, um, or if any, here with both your incubator and the, the whole South China or Greater Bay Area. Absolutely, yeah. The the government is they're one hundred percent behind innovation and biotech. The last five year plan cited both of them as uh, key industries moving forward. And I think what they provide is uh, a framework to allow entrepreneurs to flourish. They give. Uh, money, of course, all entrepreneurs want to check. 
but they provide uh, sort of discounted uh, rental space uh, connections, a sponsor, uh, just different meetings. And something that they've done in Shenzhen in particular is called the Peacock Program. Uh, it's designed for Chinese overseas, uh, Chinese who are trained overseas to come back and start other academic labs and um, or companies. It's sort of similar to the Thousand Young Talent Program. It provides a personal stipend and a professional stipend to a, to a qualifying scientist. And also for a team, a team that's put together uh, quite a good amount of money. That's uh, It's non-dilutive equity. It's, it's, a, it's a grant to start a company. So those, those two things have really been pushed pretty hard by the Shenzhen government. And a couple of our enterprises have taken advantage of them and, and been very happy with both the money and the, the connections. As far as the Greater Bay Area, yeah, keep the, the governments of Hong Kong and Macau, in uh, in Guangdong, really uh, are combining together politically to to take the strengths from each region and, and combine them into something that's um, be bigger than the whole. Hong Kong, of course, has access to international capital, real expertise in finance, but its its market is quite small. Eight million people in Hong Kong, so I, I think foreign pharmaceutical companies. Uh, maybe overlook it to some extent. China's got uh, a lot of people, but um, and, a, and a great healthcare opportunity, and also a sort of entrepreneurial drive that uh, I think is specific to Shenzhen or unique to Shenzhen in the region. So the, the combined strength, uh, I think, is really a great resource. There are a lot of good academic institutions in Hong Kong, Hong Kong University, City University of Hong Kong, starting campuses in Shenzhen to take advantage of that. So you have a basic academic researcher uh, in Hong Kong who has a project that he sees has some commercial potential, kick it over to Shenzhen and, and talk to VCs like us and uh, talk to some of the, the uh, development space provided by the government to set up a, a satellite lab and uh, a project that hopefully becomes a, a company. Yeah, it's, thanks for sharing that insight. And, you know, I think there's been, while we're most talking about positive, there are some, you know, negative things happening everywhere in the world. I think one we wanted to mention on the show is, Ther I'm not sure if I pronounced it right, Theranos. It's a blood testing startup that turned out to mostly be a scam. And do you think something like this could happen also in China? I feel like obviously there's things happen anywhere in the world, but I'd love to hear your your input and you know how how people investing in China uh, and in this industry can understand it. I'm sure. I mean, for me, I'm having you know you're a PhD, you've been doing this your whole life, but I think in other investors or business owners might have a lot of trouble evaluating feasibility. And uh, I'd love to hear what you have to say about about how how people could be more informed? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's, um, that's a really important question. Uh, and even to back up a little bit, there's a lot of money going into private equity in both China and the U.S. And these money managers have to deliver a return on their investment. And so I think there is a push to, to invest in earlier stage and riskier projects. And I think that's okay. Sometimes it's high risk, high reward. But I think to prevent another Theranos, uh, investors should a invest in, in what they know the best they can, or hire people who can help them evaluate the projects. But also really uh, have a framework in their with the to hitting milestones or what to do if a project doesn't work, or, or how to check what the 
entrepreneur is doing. Uh, most of our investments, for a variety of reasons, have that built in, have a prototype, have it tested, or, or meet this milestone. I think the investors in Theranos, uh, I think they didn't do their homework on that in that case. I don't know the, um, the, the details of the agreements, but I was reading an article the other day by a VCLEG from Arch Venture Partners, and that was his comment, that he thought it was a, a bad idea for those reasons, and he didn't invest. With that said, it's a high-risk business, and a lot of these technologies are hard to evaluate. My expertise is in certain areas, but I have to ask friends or, or other color or um, investments outside those areas. So I wish I had a, either a crystal ball or a magic solution, but um, I think the degree how far Theranos got was, was a little surprising. Like the China Business Cast and want to get involved? We have special offers for supporters of the show, starting from just one U.S. dollar and up. We have something for everyone. Check out all the different ways to engage at www.chinabusinesscast.com slash support. That's www.chinabusinesscast.com slash support. Thanks. Yeah, I mean, I guess if there was a crystal ball, it would be easy and and uh, the risk reward ratio wouldn't be there either, but it's it's true. I mean, it's, I think anybody investing in early stage startups should be prepared for you know there to be some issues. And uh, it's true. I agree. I mean, I'm actually reading um, Charlie Munger's Almanac, and uh, he's talking about investing in what you know and where you have a competitive advantage. So I think I think that's important. So, which actually goes to my next point. I mean, I think this is the first time on the, on China Business Cast we've had biotech and it's something totally new for me as, as well. What, what do you think is the, the view of investing in biotech? Sure. Um, you know, I think there are three kind of key trends in the U.S. and in China that investors should pay attention to. And the first is the merging of, of tech and biotech. Um, I think Silicon Valley has long tried to get into the healthcare space or to solve biotech problems. But I think this time they really have enough data, enough expertise in machine learning and AI um, to really make a difference in, in sort of traditional therapeutics, but also in some instances to create new industries. Uh, a great company in Shenzhen is called iCarbonX. And um, that they're started by the CEO of Wandala. He... Um, his model is to combine really advanced diagnostics and uh, machine learning to to build a, an overall healthcare system for patient use to monitor his, uh, his exercise or her exposure to pathogens and make sort of valued uh, and clinically relevant decisions on that. The second would be precision oncology and rare disease. Uh, for better or worse, big pharma really want to dominate a market in a drug they produce. And a lot of diseases have become very crowded and drug launches are getting harder. So we're seeing more and more uh, investments into these very niche areas, a very niche oncology or a very niche disease that's got a genetic basis and may not affect a huge portion of the population. But, you know, one drug is one drug for, for a million people. And the third, and I think is the most exciting from a scientific perspective, are cellular and advanced therapies. These are things like CAR-T or gene therapy or oncolytic viruses, gene editing. I really feel that this is the future. There are some great companies in China doing CAR-T right now. Uh, our company is an oncolytic viral therapy company. And gene editing is, is going to find a place 
in both the therapeutic space and the research space pretty soon, I think. Uh, the VC I mentioned earlier, he actually said he thinks that any pharmaceutical executive who <clears throat> buys another pharmaceutical company should be fired that day <laughs> and replaced by someone who's willing to invest in these, uh, I think the technical term are cellular advanced and regenerative medicines. Those are the three three trends I see moving forward as as the most innovative and most exciting. Interesting. Thanks for those points. I think that's, that's very in, insightful for listeners. And so, you know, for people interested to get involved in this industry, we have a lot of young younger listeners, aspiring entrepreneurs or aspiring, you know, business minded people. They want might want to get into the medical industry or biotech. Do you think that they should start their career at a big firm, like a big pharma, like you just mentioned, or, or do you think they should go right into a small startup or a small lab? I mean, what do you think are the pros and cons of going with a big pharma versus maybe one, a, maybe one, one company in your portfolio of startups? Sure. Yeah, I think in a, a startup, maybe people have to wear different hats. Um, they, they tend to be pretty lean and they tend to hire fewer people. So there may be, uh, of course, you're hired for a specialized skill set, but you may be exposed to a bit more. Uh, I never worked at a big pharmaceutical company, but I think you would learn a lot there about the overall course of drug development, but you may be hired for a little bit more specialized skill set. Um, I, I think advice for kind of startup entrepreneurs in the biotech space is that in the therapeutic space, you know, the barriers to entry are quite high. Most of our CEOs are... Um, are well experienced in either academics or industry. They've got either patents or a long track record of publications in their field. And they're, they're trying to solve a pretty defined problem. Um, with that said, I think the opportunities, particularly in Shenzhen, in the sort of health tech space, might be a bit of a different story because these are more, these may require a skill set that might be more accessible to some entrepreneurs who are interested in building, say, monitoring devices or health recommendation kits or medical devices. Uh, so it's a, it's a long haul and there's a high risk of failure as well. So my advice would be to really identify what problem to solve and, and consider which skill sets you need to solve that problem and, and move in that direction. Um, I'm sure that quite answered your question. but I think it, it's helpful. Uh, I think... You know, sometimes we get some feedback from listeners or, or Grace or I or our team puts these questions. I think this one came from maybe someone coming out of college deciding to, to jump into it, do uh, work at a, as an employee, I think, versus at a, star, a small company, a startup or a big company. But uh, I, I think you covered that. And uh, I think that's true, whether it's biotech or anywhere. I think, like you mentioned, you have to wear a lot of hats and you'll learn a lot and it's a little bit maybe riskier, but you'll, um, I think you'll, you'll accelerate your knowledge and, and uh, experience quite a bit. So what do you think, you know, biotech and, you know, biotech in China, uh, what do you think, it's kind of similar to that last question, what do you think entrepreneurs should look for um, to lower their risk of failure. I mean, I even, like, I, I have to admit, I'm not too familiar with the industry biotech, but I mean, I always remember the stock market in the U.S. I'd watch some stocks and the biotech stocks would be crazy. They would drop, you know, huge volatility in in uh, even huge established biotech companies because they're waiting to get approval, like a patent or 
you know, breakthrough in their uh, discovery in their in their research. Um, is there any way, maybe not in a, from an investor standpoint, but from an entrepreneur standpoint, um, to to lower their risk? So, but I think there are many things that entrepreneurs can do to to lower their risk of failure, and I think once it's feasible to do so, the entrepreneur scientist should really define the problem that he or she is trying to solve. Uh, many of the really bright academics that come to us with ideas have a discovery and um, and want to know what to do with it or um, how to move forward. And I think that's the the big kick right there is, is to say, okay, I have this discovery and I want to try it in this disease or these three diseases. Because then the entrepreneur can start asking questions like, okay, how am I going to deliver this? Or how am I going to test this? Or how am I going to design clinical trials? And who do I need to solve these problems? Uh, a mistake, I think, is to move sort of laterally, come up with a discovery and and keep expanding its uses that that can burn through cash pretty quickly for an early stage entrepreneur. The second, and I think this is true of business in many areas, is to seek advice from the right people. Uh, you can save yourself a lot of time by asking a good mentor you trust or a good expert in your field for a bit of information. Partnering is also uh, quite important. You mentioned in another section about uh, working with large pharmaceutical companies. I think large pharma are, are excellent in many areas, uh, medicinal chemistry, distribution, manufacturing expertise, and clinical trials. And seeking out those partnerships uh, would be great for an early stage entrepreneur. Aligning yourself with a good, a good VC, because they provide not only a check, but also access to other, other experts, access to clinical trials frameworks, access to uh, conferences and other VCs. I think those those are really uh, some great steps that a, a biotech entrepreneur could take. A little further down the line, I uh, could start thinking about diversifying risk by maybe in-licensing assets to, to build out a portfolio. There might be a debate in the field about whether a company should specialize and put all its uh, money into a, a certain area or, or diversify. But if a company seeks to, to build out its portfolio, China is really a great opportunity for that because there are many Western companies uh, who are established and have a product that want access to the Chinese market. So with a little bit of local knowledge, they can really serve uh, serve themselves well and serve their partners well by by facilitating that. All right, make makes sense. And I think we're getting towards the end. I just want to add some fun, more of light questions. So you're uh, enjoying your <laughs> you're enjoying your time here in China, and I. I think, you know, there's some that come and love it and some that can't wait to leave. I, you know, I think maybe what I'd like to hear or, you know, we asked a lot of listen, a lot of uh, guests, like, what would you recommend people looking to relocate out here or visit? Did you just move here without, without visiting first? Or, um, basically, uh, it's a load of questions here. We can, we can break them up or you can kind of give me your, your, uh, so I, I did. I moved here without visiting. Uh, I, I got my visa, and eight days later, I was on a plane. Wow. But I had a, a, a great relationship with the people starting the incubator here. So I felt like I was uh, showing up to a good company uh, or, or good friends in that sense. And that was quite important. I think the onboarding process um, from my partners at the incubator really helped out. And sometimes it was just the small things, getting a bank account, knowing that I have to register where I live. These types of things 
if someone local can help you out, it's, it's a big help. And um, I, I think Shenzhen is becoming more uh, international since I've been here. I have a great network of Chinese friends and also a great network of sort of foreign friends. So there's a, a support and a way to sort of normalize your experience there. It's an adventure. I, I think the entrepreneur mindset is, is someone who likes adventure, likes a little bit of risk, doesn't mind kind of figuring out things with a bit of intuition as they go along. And uh, China certainly provides you that experience. Yeah, I would agree about the adventure. I think, uh, yeah, people definitely have to enjoy Especially if they move right off the bat, I I didn't I was everybody thought I was crazy. I I, I, I spent about a month here first, then went back and then came back. But but yeah, like uh, I like yeah, you got to have an open mind and prepare for a totally new experience. And it's, it's definitely it's definitely an, has a, a lot to learn and a totally new kind of lifestyle. It's uh, one of the challenges I think is that it, China's growing so quickly and. Uh, a lot of the rules are, particularly in VC, for example, there's no right answer. Or for an entrepreneur, there's really no right answer or wrong answer for what you're doing. And that was an adjustment for me. Meaning, uh, you know, in academia, I always sort of knew what I was supposed to do. I'm supposed to do this experiment at this goal. And now it feels a little bit more wide open. And I think that can be said about China. You know, there, there's a lot of opportunity to start a company. There's a lot of opportunity to invest and. Uh, that adjustment was, was something that I enjoyed, but it was also a bit unique in my background. Okay, makes makes sense. Thank, yeah, I, I agree with that advice. It's, uh, it's still the wild, wild east, as we say sometimes. <laughs> this show uh, and lots lots of opportunity, but you got to be ready for that too. And and so thanks. So how many, how can people find out more about you and uh, and these? And this uh, Tritwise or other links or, or um, contact information yeah. you'd like to share? Absolutely. Um, our website is tryWise.cn, T-R-I-W-I-S-C.cn. I think the contact information is on there, but I can be reached at uh, Stephen Mallon, S-T-E-P-H-E-N-M-A-L-L-O-N at tryWise.cn. We have a link if you have a business plan or a great idea. Um, our, our research incubator is the SIIBR, Shenzhen International Institute of Biomedical Research. And I think both places have connection for WeChat and um, probably any, anything else you might need to get in touch. And we'd love to hear from anybody who has questions or is thinking about working with us or has some advice. I'm always happy to talk to entrepreneurs and learn new things and learn what exciting thing I didn't know yesterday is, is happening. Okay, great. Thanks for sharing with everyone. And and uh, I'm sure there will be some great opportunities hopefully coming from the listeners. And thanks for your willingness to help other entrepreneurs. Absolutely. And uh, thanks for your time. Thanks for those are pretty good questions. They got me thinking. <laughs> Our pleasure. Doing business in China is a complex world. You can quickly feel alone and lost in its maze. But don't worry. China Business Cast is here for you. Sign up for our newsletter and regular updates on our website at www.chinabusinesscast.com. Thanks for tuning in.